Let's dive in. And the, the first thing I wanted to share with you this morning is, have you ever heard of the caramel apple onion prank? And I'm sure maybe you have because you guys live where they grow good-sized onions. And, and the way the, the prank works is some people will take apples, they'll remove the stems, they'll take an onion, they'll trim it up a little bit, and they'll make them look virtually identical. Somebody's saying yes. <laughs> Get them to look as alike as possible, and then they'll stick some craft sticks in them, and they'll roll them in caramel. All of you are wi- wondering why. Why is there caramel apples on the front of the, the uh, bulletin this morning? They roll these things in caramel apples, so you have onions and apples rolled in caramel, and they look identical. They're, it's virtually impossible to tell them apart. But what lies underneath the caramel is only revealed by the first bite of the unsuspecting victim. Right? The victim takes a nice bite. They're expecting a sweet, slightly tart apple, but a sour, spicy onion elicits a reaction. The shock to the mouth, creating an animated reaction. And snorting laughter from the one that did I can't believe you fell for that, right? So that's the caramel apple onion prank. And in our passage today, we're going to be um, some look-alikes, although externally they look a lot alike, like the caramel-covered apple and onion. They look almost identical. The thing is that they act and they even act the same externally, their identity, who they are at their core, is very different. So you have these things in this passage we'll look at today. They look very much alike on the outside. They act very much the same. And yet what they are on the inside is very different. And again, this is flowing with some of the stuff I talked about when I candidated. And I think the last two weeks that we've been going through, you're beginning to get this idea of where I've been talking about this inside work and how it begins to move itself outside. And today I think we're going to see an inside out, but we're also going to see how outside in doesn't work. And so our one big idea for today is just because two things look alike doesn't mean that they are. Just because two things look alike doesn't mean that they are. And we're going to be looking at Matthew. (gasps) We're out of the Old Testament. We're into the New Testament. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. You can turn there. We'll also have the verses on the screen. And I'll be honest with you, this passage is a challenging one. It's a challenging one. In my experience, it has been used to instill fear about the end times and about judgment. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, fear should be the reaction. However, if you have a relationship with Jesus, this passage should comfort you. It should encourage you. It should help you know who you are. It should help you know your identity. It should help you know how who you are influences your actions. Now, to set the context for this passage, Jesus is teaching the disciples on the Mount of Olives. This teaching begins in Matthew 24, not 25, but is instigated by warnings in Matthew 23 against the hypocrisies of the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders of that day. 
Pharisees were people who had, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They had all the external. They looked good. They knew how to do the things right. But Jesus said, you are like a tomb. You are dead on the inside. And some of these religious leaders, they were, um, you know, they, sorry, some of these religious leaders, they had a, a sense of, in their process, in their way of living, they would, they would, make themselves look much better than everybody else around them. And so Jesus, in Matthew 23, warns them what awaits for them at the end because of their hypocrisy in 23. And it's a pretty pointed interchange. But following this interchange, I love the disciples, they, they ask Jesus in private, would you explain these events? When will they happen? You know, what, were you, what you were telling them, and when will we know the signs of what to look for? How will we know when you're coming? What, how will we understand it is the end of the age? And following 23 and through 24, Jesus teaches them in parables until he reaches the verses we'll look at today. He then returns in these verses to a simple narrative that is a vision of future events. How striking it is that Jesus is teaching about future events only a few days before his crucifixion, which will leave most of his followers feeling a lot like like they're lost. But Jesus shares what will happen with clarity and confidence. He's not confused about the future. He knows. And so let's pick up the narrative. Matthew 25, 31 to 33. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Jesus begins by saying the Son of Man will show up in all of his glory with all of his angels and he will sit on, your, on his throne. I don't think we can even imagine what that's going to be like. I don't think we can even fathom how amazing that's going to be. It's going to be unbelievable. The grandeur of the Son of Man sitting on his throne with his angels in tow. He says all the nations will be gathered for him, before him, and he will begin to separate people out ultimately for judgment. Now he shifts that description, though. He shifts from the majestic king on the throne to that of a shepherd, which softens the picture. A shepherd has intimate knowledge of his sheep, and he separates them based on that knowledge. A shepherd has intimate knowledge of his sheep, and he separates them based on that knowledge. And the, shepherd, the separating here is between sheep and goats, not between sheep and wolves. 
So sheep and goats, not between sheep and wolves. And this is important because this separation is not between obvious good and obvious bad, which when you've heard this thrown around in society, sometimes this idea of of goats and sheep being separated, it's almost like the good and the bad being separated. But that's not the case here. It is assumed by what Jesus says that the opponents who are the wolves, the opponents who are absolutely out front rejecting the gospel of Christ, they're not even included here. They've already been cast out. The opponents and the rejectors of Jesus have already been removed. This group is of those claiming to be of the family of God to be in the flock. So this is a group of people that say, hey, we're in, we're in the family. We're in the flock. Now for us, it would seem that goats and sheep would be pretty obvious and pretty easy to separate. Right? Because in our world and in our environment, sheep and goats look quite different, don't they? They're pretty obvious. I can tell the the difference between a goat and a sheep. In Jesus' day, though, the the sheep and the goats in that area would run together. And they would look alike in size, color, and shape. They were not as as easily distinguished. And only a shepherd who knew the difference between the sheep knew his sheep, knew the difference between the sheep and the goats. He could tell the difference because of his intimate relationship with the sheep. This is mine, this is not mine. And in this picture, Jesus is that shepherd. He knows his sheep. So Jesus will, will separate the sheep from the goats, and this separation is separating the false from the true the hypocrites from the real Christians. Now we need to be very careful here in this passage. Jesus is the one doing the separating, not us. Jesus is the one who knows the sheep, not us. But this is still important for us to understand that we need to discern some things here that are important. And the things that we need to discern is that Jesus is the one that can separate these groups and he will do it. This shows us that there are those who look like they are in the family of God, but they're not. That's what we need to understand. Jesus actually talked about this earlier in Matthew 13 in his parable on the wheat and the tares. A tear is a wheat, is a weed that looks like wheat. There's a lot of tongue twisters in this message today. A tear is, looks like, it's a weed that looks a lot like wheat. It's really hard to distinguish. And in that parable, Jesus says, a man planted good seed, wheat seed. And while he was sleeping, his enemy planted tares among that wheat. And when things sprouted, the man and his servants who had the trained eye and the ability to see the difference, they went, there are some tares in there. And the servants go, we want to get those tares out. And the man said, no. You'll hurt the wheat if you pull out the weeds. They have to stay together until harvest. At that point, because if you uproot the weeds, you'll uproot the wheat as well, and it will be damaging to the wheat. So he said, let them grow together until harvest, and they will be separated then, which is what is happening here. 
So again, these are things that look the same, act the same, but are not the same. So we find three groups, and this is important to understand. We find three groups here. Those who outright reject Jesus and his gospel. They're not included in this story. It's just assumed that they're not there. The second group is those who trust in Jesus and who have given themselves to him. That's the second group. And then the third group is those who claim and look like they are in the family of God, but they're not. The goats or the tares. This third group claims to be a part of the church, but are like the hypocritical Pharisees that Jesus addressed earlier in Matthew 23. And that's what started this whole conversation. They, the Pharisees had all the look of those who have it all together. They do all the right religious acts, but they have no connection with God. And truthfully, they see no need for the Messiah. Which, like the Pharisees, leads them to completely missing Jesus. Completely missing Jesus. So let's pick the narrative back up. Jesus the king speaks to each group, starting in Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom that is prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was hungry, and you did not welcome me. Naked, I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the first thing we need to notice here is the position of each group. The sheep are on the right, which most of the time in Scripture, when something's on the right, it's in a position of honor and favor. Jesus sits at the what hand of his father? The right hand of his father. Now that does not mean that the goats being on the left is necessarily a position of disfavor, but based on the outcome, we would say that it is. I don't want people who are left-handed to get the idea that, you know, because you're left-handed, well, I don't know. <laughs> I broke my right arm as a kid. I had to learn with my left hand, learn to write with my left hand so I can use both if I need to. So 
I'm on really sketchy territory, but. So the sheep are on a right-handed side. They're in a position of favor. The left is not a position of favor. Next, Jesus says to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Take your inheritance. Right here. Right here. We see the relational connection. How? Inheritance. Who gets inheritance? Rogues? People who act like they're in the family but not? Family members get inheritance. Family members receive inheritance. And what's the entrance into the family of God? How is that made possible? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. So those who have given themselves to Jesus are in his family. If you've given yourself to Jesus, you're in his family. What inheritance do they receive? They receive the inheritance of the kingdom. They receive the kingdom. Just as any royal heir would. Don't heirs, aren't they heirs to the throne? Don't they receive the kingdom? And they receive it not because of works. But because of their relationship to the Father and the Son. There is no mention of works. It's you who are blessed of my Father. Receive your inheritance. But to the goats, he says, depart from me. You are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Here we see that although the goats may have looked like sheep, their association and connection are with the devil and his demons, where the sheep's association and connection were with Jesus and his father. So the goats, their relationship and their inheritance comes what is due the, the demons and the devil. The demons are, the, are, are the, the devil's angels. They're the fallen angels. And so their inheritance is to join in their family, which is to, enjoy, is to join that eternal punishment. And that's the choice by default. If you choose to act religious but you reject Jesus, this will be the outcome just like it was for the Pharisees. Jesus constantly warned the Pharisees, you are skating on thin ice. That's in the new snowy translation. I don't know. He's like, you're really running a risk here. It's dangerous territory where you're living. And so through their association, the goats, their association and connection to the devil and his demons, they receive that inheritance to join in the eternal punishment. And this is because of their rejection of Jesus. It's one or the other. You are either, your card is either Jesus or not Jesus. Jesus said, I think in John, no one comes to the Father but through me alone. I am the gate. I am the way. Not I am a way, I am the way. Following the pronouncements to each group, Jesus rolls through a list of needs that the sheep met and the goats did not. He rolls through that list, right? 
And I tried to emphasize, and I'm hoping you're going to catch something here. What's interesting is that the sheep say, when did we do this? There's, there's, like, there's this surprise by both groups that, of what Jesus recounted. When did we do this? Unaware of when they did that or when they, they, they have no example to offer and say, we did this. When did we do this? We don't even remember doing this. That's what the sheep say. When did we do this? We don't know. What are you talking about? They have no remembrance, no record, no, here's the list of all the things I did, of all the works that I did, caring for the needy. They, they don't have any of that. Whereas the goats, what they have is they say, when did we not do this? When did we not do this? We saw the need and we helped. Here's my novel. Look at all of the times that I helped the poor and the needy and the destitute. And the, the, I have every reason to enter. I demand my right. I performed well. I looked good. Pride. Arrogance. So the sheep were completely oblivious to having done anything, and the goats thought they had a reason to be accepted. And here we see that Jesus' ruling on each group is just. How? Because the response of each group is the proof of what's within. It's the proof of what's inside. The response of each group group proves what is inside working its way out. The sheep have given themselves to Jesus and they belong to him. They've been regenerated. There is a life within them. It is the life of Jesus himself. That's what the sheep have. And they've made themselves available to that life and have joined with it, allowing it to work through them from the inside out. That's the sheep. And as that life within them worked its way out, they naturally ministered to the needs of those around them, no matter the situation or station of life of those people they were ministering to. And they did it without keeping record. They didn't have to go around going, oh, yep, did that one. Okay, keep, yep, mm mm-hmm, yeah. Had a little book like, oh, check, good, all right. So they kept no record so that when Jesus mentioned if they had done these things, they have no memory of it. It was natural. It was an automatic response. It was an alignment with who they are, were to act the way that they were. It came naturally from them. They didn't have to manufacture it or gin it up. The goats, on the other hand, they have no connection to Jesus. And therefore, they do not have his life within them. So not having the life of Jesus within them, all they have left is their works, their performance, which they were counting on to justify them for their inheritance. We've earned this. 
We're owed this. So they were expecting that Jesus would accept them by their performance, by their good works, by their efforts, by what they would do. And they're surprised to find out that it's not. It's not even close to enough. So finally, to both groups, Jesus says, what you did or did not do for those in need, you did or did not do for me. And what does he mean in that? Here Jesus is identifying himself with those who are in need. And not just the examples here. See, the pharisaical mind will go, okay, those are the examples, those are the ones I need to focus on, those are the, one, those are the biggies, those are the ones I need to check off my list so that when I get, I can go, hey, I'm good, we're good, right, I can get in. Those in this list are the extreme needs of life. If you help the least of those people, if you will help everyone else. Because those are the extreme cases that you go for. So Jesus is identifying with anyone who has need. Jesus is identifying with anyone who has need. Those who, are, those who, he know, those who know they have need give themselves to Jesus for him to meet all their need. In turn, they're, con- they're connected to Jesus. So you step up and you say, Jesus, I'm needy. And he says, I got you. But see, that takes humility. A lot of times it's like, Jesus, I'm n- 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 needy. <laughs> right? It takes us a little bit to get there. But if we're willing to meet that, to, to admit that, and to have Jesus meet all our need, then we are connected to him, offering ourselves to him in relationship, which then causes us to see others who are in need. Why? Because we are moved by the life of Jesus inside of us who identifies with them and desires to help them. I mean, have you had a hard time finding the gumption to try to help people that are hard to help? People that seem needy? Maybe it's that you've missed the life of Jesus that's been deposited inside of you. That desires to motivate you, to move you, to bring it in your heart. So, those who know they have need give themselves to Jesus, are connected to him, but those who do not think they have a need, like the Pharisees, they reject Jesus. And they attempt to meet their need by themselves. Which means their help of others isn't a working of Jesus within them, but is a selfish motive. It's help that's done to benefit themselves and to prove they are worthy, they are acceptable. And they're worthy and acceptable based on their own good merit. I mean, it's a scary position. Do you want to stand in a position that says, I want to stand here based on the good works that I've done, or I want to stand here based on Jesus? 
when we put it that clearly, it's kind of not hard, right? No, I think I'll pick over here, and I'm going to show, like, I'll show God I've got a, you know, God, you got a good one when you got me. I'm all that in a bag of chips. I had a friend of mine the other day say, it depends on the bag of chips. So now, now knowing all this, how do we apply it? How do we apply it? Well, the first question is very simple. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? That's the first question. If you haven't given yourself to Jesus in salvation, then you are not connected to him, and his life is not inside of you. And no amount of good effort on your part can produce in you only what Jesus can produce. What have you done with Jesus? And if you, are not, if you have not given yourself to him in salvation, then your identity, who you are, is that of the goats. You are separated from God the Father and Jesus. You are cursed. You will share the fate of the devil and the demons. And no matter how much good work you do on your own, it will never be enough it was because it was done all out of your own effort. It won't be enough. It won't be enough. And it will, all that work that you've done will be done in such a way as though it wasn't done at all. Listen to me. I don't know where you stand. But the reality is if this, this is your condition, this is a fearful place to be. And if you're scared, you should be scared. But you know what? There's good news. You don't have to remain as a goat. You don't have to go around pretending like you got it all together. It's okay to admit that you don't. It's okay that you need, that to admit that you need a Savior, that you need Jesus. You can give yourself to him today. You can call on him for salvation. And when you do, you will be connected with him and his life will be placed inside of you. And if that is a question for any of you in the room, please talk to me. Please talk to Bruce. Please talk to Brad. Please, talk, please fill out a connection card so we can connect. Those of you online, there's a digital connection card. Reach out Reach out. For those of you today who give yourself to Jesus, or for those of you who are already in the room that have already given yourselves to Jesus, who you are, your identity has changed from that of a goat to a sheep. And if you are a sheep, this message should encourage you. It should comfort you. It should empower you. It should help you see who you are differently. Because the identity of sheep are this. Are you listening? If you fell asleep and you just woke up, this is the most important part, okay? 
This is who you are as a sheep if you've given yourself to Jesus. And I don't care if you're having a rotten day and your performance doesn't line up with this. That can be worked on. This is who you are. You have entered the family of God through relationship with Jesus. You are indwelled by Jesus. You belong to Jesus, not to yourself. You are honored. You are favored. You are blessed by God the Father. You will inherit the kingdom of God. You are righteous. You have right standing with God. In Jude it says, those who he's made able to stand in his presence. It's not because we came like the goats and said, hey, I have every right to be here because of what I've done. It's I'm able to be, like I think I said in my first message, I'm with Jesus. I'm with that guy. You are righteous. And you know what else you are? You're attuned to the needs of others because you're attuned to your own needs. This is who you are. This is your identity. Again, I said it last week with Ezekiel. I don't care what the world says to you. I don't care what other people say to you. I don't care what preachers on TV tell you. The politics, I don't care. Like I said last week, and I'll say it again, anything they say to you is lie, 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 lie. If it is in contradiction to what the Word of God says about you. And the only way you'll ever be able to do things differently externally will be first if you learn who you are as a sheep and you follow your shepherd. That's what makes you able to live. When we who are sheep, when we know who we are, when we know our identity, our behavior, our actions begin to come in line with that identity. I mean, people who are abused will tell you over and over. For so long I was told I was trash, filthy, a wretch, a piece of junk, and that's how I acted. Because that was what I thought my identity was. And sadly, we in the church don't do a very good job. You filthy, wretched, sinner, Christian, what are you? You're such a mess, you're such a wreck. There's some truth to that. But the reality is that deep down at the core of who you are, something new lives inside. And that something new, as I said last week, is joined to Jesus Christ himself, who is the Son of God, who has all the capability and all the power to give you life, to make you able to live life. There's a guy who would say it this way. He's the dynamic of his own demand. He tells you what to do, and then he provides you the power to do it. And all you have to do is say, yes, I choose to be a part of that. And so when we who are sheep know who we are, know our identity, our behavior, our actions come in line with that identity, we don't have to work up love or concern for others. It comes from us naturally, instinctively. Why? Because it is a practical demonstration of the life of Jesus inside of us. I'm going to say that again. We don't have to work these things up. If you're trying to work these things up, you're missing the whole point. Jesus is going, hey, look what's inside. Surprise, I'm here. Didn't Jesus say in John, apart from me, you can do some things? 
a couple of things? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, what? All things. And I think where we get confused is we try to live out of our own bag rather than living out of the bag that's been deposited us in Jesus. And if we would just trust Jesus in us, wouldn't Jesus' life in and through us naturally live? Because see, Jesus was really the only one who could ever live the Christian life. And if Jesus is showing up in your life from the inside out, wouldn't it be, make sense that if Jesus is the one who can live the Christian life, the Christian life would begin to show up in and through you? To the world around you? Stop being Jesus. You don't need to be. He's Jesus. And when we do that, again, it is a practical demonstration of the life of Jesus in us, working its way out through us, and then ministering to those around us. So this is a hard, challenging passage, people. I get it. But I hope that today, if you are connected to Jesus, you should walk away comforted, encouraged, excited. Go, I have something to seek my teeth into. And also, I know that Jesus, my shepherd, my brother, and God the Father, they go with me, and the Spirit's there to empower me to step into the rest of my day and into my week tomorrow. Because of my new identity in the family, of God, the blessed, the chosen, the favored. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I can sense your presence here this morning. And I know you're working on hearts. And I know that there are people in this room who needed to hear this this morning. They needed to be reminded of their connection to you. And Father, if that connection is in question, I pray that they would not walk but run to receive help. That they would ask someone to pray with them. That they would make their commitment to you today. That they could move from darkness to light. From an old creation to a new creation. And Father, for those of us that have been connected to you for a day, a week, months, years, a lifetime, that what we saw this morning would breathe new life into our daily experience. That we would seek to understand at greater depths who you've changed us to be. Who you've made us to be by the work of your son Jesus. And out of that, that you would begin to move and adjust, that things would be taken away that need to be taken away, and things that need to come into focus would come into focus. And that your church would shine, this church, Thurston Christian Church, the people in this church would shine as lights to each other and to the community around. In Jesus' name, amen.